The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. beginning a brand new series today on the book of James, and I am really pumped about this series. Uh, a couple months ago, I was praying and kind of looking at the fall of this year and what God wanted to say to our church, and I really felt led, I really felt the Holy Spirit led me to, uh, to spend the rest of this year, really, we're going to be looking at the book of James. We're going to be in this series for nine weeks, and it's going to be really good. We've got some breaks, by the way, in there. In fact, next week, I want to encourage you to, um, especially if you have friends that are away from God, you know people in your life that don't know God. Uh, next week, Lance Lang from Hope is Alive is going to be preaching here at New Song Church. And if you know him, he's the director. Hope is Alive helps people that are caught up in drug abuse and things like that, helps them to get out of that. And it's one of the ministries that we support as a church. They're doing incredible things across the state of Oklahoma and a bunch of different states. And uh, he'll be here sharing his testimony. And it's a great opportunity for you to invite somebody to come to church that doesn't know God. I believe that they're going to get ministered to. Uh, we've got some breaks in, in this series here and there, but really we're going to be focusing on this series, and there's so much uh, in this series on the book of James because there's so much in this book. It's, it's unbelievable how much is covered in this book. It goes from talking about taming your tongue to drawing close to God to having more faith to understanding eternity to understanding wealth to how, how, to, how to navigate favoritism and not showing favoritism into how to uh, take care of widows and orphans and how to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. Like, it's amazing. In fact, uh, many Bible scholars call James, they liken it to the book of Proverbs in that it's, it's got so much practical wisdom. It's got so much uh, everyday wisdom for, for us as believers. And so I really believe God's going to speak to us in amazing ways throughout this series. So I want you to come expecting. I, in fact, I hope you're ready to take some notes this morning because this message is like, this message is chunky. I got a lot to give you today. This message is a little heavy set. Like I got a lot in it. It's a big message. You got you with me this morning, New Song Church? It's 11 o'clock. It's going to be good. going to be good. So get ready. I hope you came to church ready to take notes. What are you doing? You're not taking notes? Take notes. Look at the person beside you and say, take some notes. What are you doing? You got to take notes. So let me set this up for you a little bit. Uh, James is a book of the Bible that was written by James. And when I say James, it wasn't James the disciple. It's actually James the brother of Jesus. So James, well, really, he's the half-brother of Jesus, because as you know, uh, James and Jesus had different fathers. James was born of Joseph, was his father. Jesus was born of a virgin. The Holy Spirit conceived of Jesus inside the womb of Mary, and, and so she gave birth. But after she gave birth to Jesus, uh, Joseph and Mary had more children, and James was one of those children. So, so get this, like James' big brother is Jesus. So he grew up around Jesus, like he shared a childhood with Jesus, and he probably studied the Torah with Jesus. And so he's got an interesting perspective. And what's interesting is that James, even though he grew up in the home of Jesus, he didn't become a follower and a believer in Jesus until after the resurrection. And in a way, I can kind of get it, you know? Like, can you imagine if someone came to you, like, what, what would it take to convince you that your sibling is God? <laughs> like, that's... That's a, big, that's a big one to wrap your brain around, you know? Like, if you told me my, my sister was God, I'm going to be like, no. Nope. <laughs> no. I grew up with her. No, she ain't God. <laughs> I love you, Brooke, if you're watching. Glad, glad you're watching. But you know you ain't perfect. 
But Jesus was. He was perfect. And, and so imagine that too. Your big brother is Jesus and he's perfect. Like I'm sure there was a many times that it was like, why can't you be more like your big brother? Well, because he's God, mom. <laughs> but but so, G, so James grows up with Jesus, but he's not like fully convinced. But what's interesting is after Jesus is resurrected, Jesus actually goes out of his way. Jesus says, you know, he visits about 500 people after the resurrection. And one of those people was James. And before he goes and visits the apostle, he has this one-on-one -on -one encounter with James. And it's from that encounter that James becomes a believer. And then James is completely sold out and becomes a full follower of Jesus. He ends up becoming the pastor of the Jerusalem church and actually ends up being martyred uh, in, in his as he's continuing to, to push forward the gospel message of Jesus, he's beheaded, which is such a testimony to who Jesus was and to the resurrection, that his own brother was willing to call him God and die for his cause. That, that says a lot about who Jesus was. But, but in this book, we, we have James who grew up with Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, giving us some practical wisdom. And I believe God's going to speak to us in amazing ways there's a lot. This, is, this is message is going to be a slapper, so get ready. I mean, it comes out like he comes out swinging in this message, uh, in this series, and, and there's going to be a lot to cover. So let's pray, and then let's dive into this. Amen? Lord, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have to look to it today. Thank you that your word is life to those who find it and health to our flesh. We pray today as we look at your word that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would grow in wisdom and in, in knowledge of who you are and what you want to do in our life. Lord, I pray that our, the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened and we'd walk away today different than how we came into church. We expect you to speak to each and every one of us. We expect to, to learn things today that's going to change our life. We expect that. And so, Lord, we ask you uh, that what we don't know, we pray you would teach us what we have not. Lord, we pray that you'd please give us what we are not. We pray that you would please make us. And for all the fruit that is produced out of this message, we will be careful to give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Amen, amen. James chapter 1 says this, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's his brother, but you see him there declaring he's Lord to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. The tribes are scattered. The church is scattered at this time. Some of the church is not able to, to meet because of persecution. People are divided in what they believe and what they don't believe. Kind of reminds me of the season that we've come out of and the season that we find ourselves in. Amen. And then he says this, greetings, and that's his greeting. And then, boom, verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Like he just comes out swinging with, a, with right off the bat a statement that is kind of hard to wrap our brains around sometimes, right? That we are to consider it pure joy, pure joy. Like you ever heard somebody say, like, when you talk about pure joy, typically it's like, man, look at that child over there. They are in, you just look at them, they're in pure joy right now. Consider, we're to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. That is not an easy thing to do, is it? Can I get an amen? amen. It's not easy when you're facing trials to consider it pure joy. Like who, what, who does this? Who is able to do this? And notice what he says. Consider it joy when you face trials, not if you face trials. See, we understand when we face trials, like we're going to face trials as, as believers. Just because you're Christian doesn't mean you're not going to face trials. We all face trials. We all face troubles. And notice it also says of many kinds. That phrase of many kinds means that it's of all different shapes and sizes. 
So we face trials that are big. We face trials that are small. We face medium-sized trials. We face trials that make us want to quit. We're going to face trials that make us want to turn and run the other way. You're going to face trials in life. And when you face them, James says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing on God's behalf here, the Word of God, he says, consider it pure joy. Why in the world would we do that? Well, look at what it says in verse 3. Because you know, somebody say, you know, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, or in other words, endurance, or in other words, the ability to keep going, to keep pressing ahead. Verse 4, let perseverance finish its work. Notice it's producing something and there's a work being done. Let it finish its work so that you may be, say this word with me, mature, and say this next word, complete, and then say these last three words, not lacking anything. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. How many of you that sounds good, right? To be mature, to have a maturity to you, to be complete, to not be divided, to not be uh, uh, fractured, not lacking anything. How many of you that sounds good to you? To not lack anything. How do you get there? You have to learn to consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Now, when it talks about these trials that we're facing, we're not joyful in what the trial is. What we're actually joyful is, we're joyful in the anticipation of the positive thing that God can produce through the trial. God's not asking you to just like that the situation stinks. He's telling you to be able to have the ability to look beyond the situation to what God can do through the situation to move you ahead and to change the world through you. That's what God wants to do. There's a possibility in every trial and every test that you face. So it says to consider. That means to deliberately make up your mind. This is a decision you have to make. You're the one that has to make the decision that you're going to count it all joy. You're going to look for what the positive is. You're going to look for what God may be doing in this trial, in this season, so that you can count it all joy, so that you can move ahead with the Lord. You have to make that decision. Now, in order to make that decision, you have to understand a few things. First thing you need to understand, if you're taking notes this morning, jot this down. Trials are tests. Trials are tests. Test. Turn to the person beside you and tell them this. Say, there's a test in the trial. I'll turn to the other person that you don't like as much and let them know. <laughs> you like them. Tell them, first of all, say, hey, I do like you. But there's a test in the trial. There's a test in the trial. Look at this. Consider up your joy whenever you face trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Trials are tests. And it's important for you to understand that God will allow you to face some tests in life. God will allow you to face some tests. Now, before you start thinking God's a meanie, it's important that you understand something about God. God is not the cause of your pain. Second notes, write this down. God is good and only good. God is good and only good. God is a good God. So here's what God will do. He will work. In fact, Romans tells us he can make all things work together for your good. So God can take the trial. He can take the test. Listen, we live in a broken, fallen world, and we live in a world with an enemy. And so in in this world, you're going to face it. When you face trials, that's what it said, right? You're going to face some trials. You're going to face some tests. It doesn't mean God's the author of the pain. It doesn't mean he's the author of the problem, but God will use it 
to advance you. God will work some stuff out in you in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your test, to help you advance to where he wants to take you. But God is a good father, and a good father doesn't have to hurt you in order to help you. I'm going to say that again so some of you get it. A good father doesn't have to hurt you in order to help you. In fact, that's not really a good father, and God is a good father. Like when I was, I remember when I was raising my kids and they were little and I was teaching them stuff. When I was teaching them about fire, in order to teach them how fire worked and that fire could burn them, I didn't have to take their little hands and say, let me teach you about fire and stick their hand in a fire and burn it off. <laughs> they, you know what they would have learned in that moment? Dad's a psycho. <laughs> Will they learn that fire burns? Yeah, but they're also going to learn dad's crazy. And I don't know if I can trust this dude. So I don't, I don't have to do it. Like, that makes no sense. How, why would you teach him? I'm going to teach you that fire will burn you. So I'm going to burn you to teach you it'll burn you. That's crazy, right? But some of us, that's how we think God is. We think that God is, is causing pain, causing hurt, making us sick, doing this garbage to us to teach us a lesson. That's not God. Listen, when you look at the, when you want, you know how God was, look at the life of Jesus. Jesus was a picture of who God is. Jesus said this. He says, when you see me, you see the Father. So what we see in Jesus, when you look at his life, you're seeing, you're seeing God. Jesus says, I came only to do the work of my Father. So what you see Jesus doing, that's the work that God wants to do. That's the will of God. So show me the place in the Bible where Jesus made somebody sick. Show me the place in the Bible where Jesus killed somebody. Show me the place in the Bible where Jesus put a burden on somebody that they couldn't handle. That was too much for them to carry. It doesn't exist. What I do see is that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. The devil was the one oppressing. Jesus was the one freeing. This is so important for you to get. In fact, when you look at the life of Jesus, what you're going to discover is there were trials and tests that would come against him, but he didn't just accept it. There was one time that people got mad at Jesus and they were going to throw him off a cliff. Remember that? And Jesus didn't just go, well, I guess this is the will of God. No. Jesus resisted it and walked right through that crowd miraculously. There's a time that they woke up Jesus on, in the middle of a storm and he comes out on the boat and what does he do? He rebukes it. Why? Because he didn't just go up to the ground and go, well, I guess we'll just see what happens, guys. We're in a trial, we're a test. God's will be done, whatever it may be. No, 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 no. Listen, that's not it. It's important that you get this. First John 1.5 says this, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not the author of confusion. How many of you know when you're in a, a season of pain and, and trial and test, sometimes it can be confusing. And what God's saying is, I didn't author that. I didn't author the confusion. I'm not the author of the thing that's causing you confusion. God will use it. God will, God will test you in it to move you ahead, but God's not causing it. There will be pain in this world. Why? Because the world's broken. It's broken because of sin. And there's a, there's a real devil that really does exist that wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. And he's going to try to do it. He's going to come after you. But, but, but God's not the one causing your pain. He wants to move you through it and advance you through it, but he's not the cause of it. And it's important that you get this because if you don't, you won't turn to God in the middle of your pain. And that's what God wants you to do. He wants you in your seasons of testing and trial. He wants you to come to him. In fact, Jesus said it like this, Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
God is not the one behind your pain. And it's important that you get this because if you don't, you're going to have a hard time running to God if you think he's the one causing your pain. Because we don't typically turn to abusers in order to get relief from abuse. So you got to see God the right way. John 10.10 says this, the thief comes only, the thief is talking about Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. All that steals, kills, and destroys comes from the enemy. It's important that you see this this morning. So, so God will use these situations. He'll use that season you may find yourself in that's hard, that's difficult, that can be painful. He'll use it to work some stuff out in you, but he, he's not the author of it. But, but the enemy, he wants to author bad stuff in your life. In fact, one of the ways that the enemy does this is he wants to tempt you. God will test you, but the devil, he tempts you. That's one of the ways he attacks you and comes against you. God, God will test you so you can become perfect and complete, not lacking anything. The devil will tempt you so he can steal, kill, and destroy you. God will test you so he can, he can advance you into maturity and help you go to the next level. The enemy will tempt you so he can destroy you and bring devastation on your life. It says this, James 1, same chapter we're in, a little bit later in the, in the chapter, verse 13. It says this about temptation. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Notice God's not the one tempting you. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God doesn't tempt you. In fact, if you remember when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, which is he gives them this model prayer called, we call it the Lord's Prayer. What does he say? Lead us not into temptation. It's not God's will for you to be tempted. God doesn't want you being tempted. But in this world, you're going to face temptation. Because there is a real enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. And so he's going to try to do that. He's going to try to lure you away into devastation. Verse 14, it says this, but each person is tempted when, now notice, so this is how this works, when he's dragged away. Notice there's a, there's a dragging away by their own evil desires and enticed. It's important that you understand there's some stuff in you, there's some evil desire that can exist inside of you that can be enticed by the enemy. And so what the devil will do is he'll come at you and he'll, he'll put stuff in front of you to try to entice that evil desire. And look at what it leads to. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Verse 16, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Temptations are not from God. They're from the devil. And what he wants to do is he wants to pull you away with these temptations. I've heard it said like this before. The temptations of the devil are kind of like a lure when you go fishing. You know, you, you go fishing, you, you throw that line out there, and on that line, you've got your bait, and the fish sees the bait, and they like the bait. They get it, they're attracted to it. They're like, ooh, that looks good, like the bait. And so they swim over, and they bite it, but what they don't understand is there's a hook in there. And this is how sin works. The devil comes at us, and he puts stuff in front of us. He dangles it in front of us, and it's enticing. And we say, ooh, that, that kind of looks good. I, there's something in me that wants that. What we don't see is the hook. What we don't see, see, sin has a price tag. It's hidden, but there's a price tag. And the price tag is death. And what happens is we're drawn away. We're drawn away from God. We're pulled away from relationships. We're pulled away from, from connection. And we're pulled into devastation. And the Bible says this, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it's the way of death. So there's this way, and it, it ends in death. Listen, sin can kill you. It can physically kill you, but beyond that, it can destroy your relationships. It can destroy your purpose, 
It, it's, it's all about stealing, killing, and destroying you. So the devil will tempt you with this, and he's trying to lure you away. So you need to be aware of what he's up to. You need to be aware. Don't be foolish. Be aware of what's work, what he's doing, what he's trying to do. So, so the devil's tempting you, but God, he doesn't tempt you, but he will test you. And he'll, he'll work out in these seasons where we find ourselves in these tough places. He'll work some stuff out in you to test you. Now, before you continue to go, man, it just seems like this is kind of like, why does God do this? This doesn't seem fair. Why test us? Just, you know, move us ahead. Well, if you're a parent in here, you, you test your kids five out of seven days a week. I'm a parent. I do this. Five out of seven days a week, I wake my kids up earlier than they want to get up. I make them put on clothes. I make them eat breakfast when they're still tired. And I send them off into an environment where they're going to be tested. It's called school. And they go into that environment. And I'm not sending them in an environment where they're going to be destroyed. But I am sending them into an environment that has some proving ground to it. I'm sending them into an environment where they have to develop. And, and what also happens in this proving ground is they, they learn. They learn to gauge some things about themselves. And we learn to gauge where they're at. So in, in this in this area of testing, there are things that are revealed and there are things that are developed. We reveal whether they can move on or whether they need to stay here a little bit longer. And in the same way, that's what the tests that God has you involved in are. He's not trying to destroy you. He's not trying to crush you. He's not trying to devastate you. But he does want to develop some stuff in you. And he wants to reveal some stuff that either determines whether you're ready to move on or whether you've got to stay put a little bit longer. Listen, here's how it works in the test that God gives you. He's not looking to fail you. But you will keep taking the test until you pass. And so you can get stuck in a place, in life, in a test, until you learn how to pass the test. Because God, listen, God is a good steward. And you understand, Him being a good steward means that He can't give you something you're not prepared for. He can't move you ahead. Like, God won't let you cheat. Because you know, if you move somebody ahead in a test and, and let them pass when they didn't really pass, eventually it's going to catch up with them. It's a great disservice to them. And so what, what, what God will do, he's not going to do that. He's going to say, hey, we're going to stay here until we pass this test. I'm not going to move you along until you pass this test. So God will require us to prove our potential through tests on one level before he will promote us to the next level. Are you with me, New Song Church? Yes. So the, t- the trial is a test. It's a proving ground. And God uses these to shape us and prepare us for what he has ahead of us. And you may not like it. You may not want it. It may seem hard sometimes. But what you have to learn to do in the middle of these trials is you got to learn how to let it do what it do. Turn the person beside you and say, let it do what it do. Let it do what it do. Verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. We all said we want that, right? That sounds good. There's a work that has to be done. Now, let me, let me also say this. When I say, let it do what it do, I'm not saying you just accept whatever comes against you. So here's, here's the gauge. If you won't have it in heaven, don't settle for it on earth. If you won't have it in heaven, that's what Jesus said, on earth as it is in heaven. So if, it, if you won't experience it someday in heaven, then you need to be actively resisting it here on earth. You need to say, I'm not going to stand for this. God may be working something out in the middle of this, but I'm not going to stand for the test. I'm not going to, I'm not going to just allow this to do whatever it does. I'm going to stand against it in faith. See, the trials and the tests that God has you in, they're not designed to take you out. They're designed to stretch you, to teach you, to grow you, to refine you. 
Not to, not to fail you, but to help you move ahead. But the problem that we can face sometimes in the trial, the problem that we can face sometimes in the test is we get so focused on the pain, we get so focused on the problem that we can't see beyond the problem to what God may be wanting to do. And we don't ask the right questions. We just focus on this really stinks. I don't like this. And so this is where the count it all joy part comes in. We have to make a decision to not just consider the pain and the frustration, but, but to consider what God really wants to do in the middle of this. That's how we endure, is we look beyond the problem, beyond the pain, to what God can do through this. That's what Jesus did. Remember Hebrews 12? Let me show it to you. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Let us run the race with endurance. That's what we're talking about. Enduring in the trials, right? Endurance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, looking at how Jesus did it, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He went before us and set an example. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of God. When Jesus, listen, the cross was a test, you know. That was a trial. It was a serious trial. But Jesus didn't go through the cross just focused on the pain and the problem of the cross. This verse tells us what he was thinking about. He was looking beyond the cross. His eyes were on the horizon to what was going to happen on the other side of the cross. To, the, to, to the, the freedom that would take place in millions and billions of people who would be able to walk and step in relationship with God and come and, be, and step out of their sin and step into a new covenant relationship that God wanted them to have. Jesus wasn't just focused on the pain. He was focused on what was on the other side. And because of that, he came through it and went to a new level of promotion on the other side of it. That's what God wants to do in you. Yes, you're in the middle of a problem. You may not like it, but don't just focus on the problem. Look ahead to what God may be doing. So here's the question we have to ask ourselves. When you're in the middle of a trial, you have to start asking this question. Holy Spirit, what are you trying to show me? Holy Spirit, what are you trying to do right now? I don't just want to focus on the problem. Holy Spirit, what, what, what are you trying to bring a revolution to in me? Holy Spirit, what are you trying to overthrow? Something Maybe you're trying to overthrow something in my heart, in, in my mind that needs to be overthrown. Holy Spirit, what are you doing? Help, help me to see what I need to see. You know, here's, here's something you need to understand about tests. We've all taken tests before. Tests in school, tests in life. Every test has questions that have to be answered. If you think about it, that's what a test is. You get a test, they put a piece of paper in front of you. It's a test, there's questions on it, and they have to be answered. In order to pass the test, you have to answer the questions with the correct answer. And so this is what we do in the middle of a trial and a test. We have to ask ourselves, what's God asking me? What needs to change? What's the answer to the questions that God may be bringing to me right now? John chapter 6, we see this interesting encounter that Jesus has with one of his disciples. It says this in verse 5, John 6 verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now look at this. This is so interesting. Verse 6. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Look at verse 7. Philip says, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Wrong answer, Philip. <laughs> Focused on the wrong thing here, dude. You're looking at this the wrong way. Verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. If you know the story, what happens? They bring these things to, to Jesus. He takes them. He blesses them. He multiplies them. 
And then a miracle is done through them. And all these people are provided for. But look back at what it says in verse 6. He asked of Philip this thing only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Listen, Jesus knew what he was going to do. You need to understand something this morning. Jesus doesn't look at your test, your trial, your season, wherever you find yourself today. He's not looking at it right now going, oh, man, I'm not really sure what to do here. I've never seen this one before. Heavenly host, you guys got any thoughts on this? Maybe, uh, do you know? Like, you're in the middle of it. What What do you think you should do? No, no, no. Listen, Jesus wasn't asking Philip because he needed a plan. Jesus is the plan. He wasn't looking for a plan. He is the plan. What he was looking for, what he was asking Philip in this moment, the test was this. Am I your plan, Philip? Is Jesus the plan of Philip? And so Jesus, uh, Philip looks at, at this situation and goes, we don't have enough food. And how could we ever do this? It, what he should have done is what was done. He should have said, you know what, Jesus, I don't know, but I do know this. You're the answer. And so I'm just going to go get whatever I can find, and I'm going to bring it to you, and I'm going to let you do what you can do. I can't do it, but you can do it. So I'm just going to, I'm going to see what I can dig up. I'm going to see what I can find, and I'm going to bring it to you. Listen, the answer to every test, every trial, the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. We know that. We know the answer is Jesus. The question is, what are you bringing to him? See, that's what Jesus wanted. He wanted him to say, you're the answer, and then what are you bringing to me? What are you bringing to Jesus? You guys remember math class in school? Anybody remember math? No one remembers math? Remember math class? Anybody enjoy math class in school? Some of you weirdos? Math class, some of the best days of our life, wasn't it? Algebra, algebra two, calculus, good times, right? I remember my my math teacher used to always say something. Make sure you show your work. Remember this? Make sure you show your work. Why? Because your teacher understands something that you may not understand. They understand that you can have the answer but not know how you arrived at the answer. So they want you to show your work because your, your work shows that you can prove how you arrived at the answer. In fact, in some math equations, more advanced math, they'll give you the answer and then you have to figure out how you arrive at the answer. And so the point is, is not the answer. We have the answer. The answer is Jesus. The question is, what's the equation? So our job is to figure out what needs to be in the math equation, what has to be added, subtracted, multiplied, divided. So in the equation that you may find yourself in, we know the answer is Jesus. The question is, what in my life needs to be added, subtracted, divided, multiplied, in order to arrive at the answer, which is full faith in Jesus. I'm preaching better than I'm getting amen this morning. So, so here's what we do. We work out the equation. We work out the equation. Okay, so, so I, I recognize I'm in the middle of a season, and I know the answer is Jesus. So, so I go to the Word. I go to the Holy Spirit. I begin to kind of research this out. What's missing? Jesus, I've done this, and I brought to you, I'm bringing you this now. I'm bringing this to put this in your hands. I think it's an issue of my stewardship. I don't think I'm stewarding my time very well. And so, Jesus, I'm bringing this to you. I'm going to place this in your hands so that you can take it, you can bless it, you can do something with it, and it can be multiplied and provided in my life and in the world around me. Jesus, I recognize in my life, uh, in the equation of my life, maybe there's a fear issue. And so I'm bringing you this, this issue, and I'm saying I'm, I'm going to give it to you because I realize you're the answer. I'm going to let you take it and, and multiply it, do a miracle with it so that it can be fixed in my life and I can move ahead into what you have for me. Jesus, whatever it is, a sin issue, whatever it is, we bring it to Jesus. So, so here's the good news. We have the answer. So we know there's an equation, but beyond 
the equation, I want you to know something. You have a helper to help you in the equation. You have a tutor. His name is the Holy Spirit. And he wants to help. He's the Spirit of God. And, and he wants to help. The Bible, Jesus said he was going to send him to us. And he would lead us and guide us in all truth. He knows the truth of the trial that you find yourself in today. And so what he wants to do is he wants to lead you in that truth. And here's the good news. He knows the curriculum really good. He actually wrote the book you're working from right now, the Bible. And he knows the answer to every problem in there. And so if you'll go to him and say, okay, I know Jesus is the answer. I need, a, I need to figure out the equation. Then the Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you to understand what needs to be changed, what needs to be added, what needs to be subtracted, what maybe needs to be multiplied, what maybe needs to be divided in your life to help lead you to the place where Jesus is the answer. And you can bring him whatever it is that you're struggling in. Can I get an amen? amen. So the question is, the question really is, Every test has questions. What's God asking you? And the Holy Spirit wants to help you understand. Man, this week when I got this, I was, I was studying this this week and God kind of gave me this revelation. I was like, I, I went into Jackson's office and I just started slapping him around. I got excited. I hope you're getting excited about this. This is such good news. It means that no matter what you face, there's an answer. You have the answer and you have a tutor who will help you. That'll be like, no, 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 I ain't it. This is it. Carry the one there. Do that. He'll help you out. But you've got to be willing to invite him into the situation. We all face tests. We all face trials. In the test is a question. There's an answer to it. What's the answer? The answer is Jesus. And God wants to help you arrive at him the right way. So for the rest of our time, I want to talk to you about nine tests. There's, there's nine categories of tests that we see in Scripture that we all face in life. And like I said earlier... God's not going to fail you, but he just will keep you in the test until you pass it. So it's, it's important that we understand how to navigate these tests because maybe you find yourself in a season where you feel a little stuck and God wants to advance you, but you have to recognize what God's really doing. And so maybe as I show you this today, maybe you'll recognize maybe some tests that you've walked through and how God walked you through it and what the test was that you actually found yourself in. Or maybe today you'll, you'll find yourself in the middle of a test and this will help you to understand the test that you find yourself in right now. Or maybe you're going to have a test in the future because when you face tests, remember that when you face these trials, it's going to happen. You'll need to understand how to navigate this. So I got nine of these tests. I'm only going to talk really in depth about two of them, but I want to go through all of them just so you can see them. Number one is this, the test of small things. I'm going to come back to that one. Number two is the motivation test. The motivation test, which is why do I do what I do? What's the motivation behind why I do what I do? It's important that your motivation is proper. And so there's a test of your motivation. Number three is the credibility test. Can you be trusted? Are you the same person all the time? Are you credible? Are you one way around one group and another way around another group? Are you one way when people are watching and another way when you don't think anyone is watching, but actually, just so you know, God is always watching? <laughs> number, number four is the wilderness test. I'm going to talk more about that in just a second. Number five is the authority test. The authority test doesn't come when you're under authority you agree with, just so you know. The authority test comes when you're under authority you don't agree with. How do you walk under authority you don't agree with? By the way, the Bible says that all authority comes from God. Doesn't mean it's all right. Doesn't mean it's always doing the right thing. But how do you navigate the authority God's placed you under and do it in a God-honoring way? Still rise up, stand for what's right, but do it in a God-honoring 
honoring way. That's the authority test. If you don't pass that test, you're not going to move ahead. The warfare test. Can I keep fighting when I've been knocked down? Will I keep getting back up? Do I recognize I'm in a fight and I got to keep rising up and keep trudging ahead? I'm going to get hit on the chin. I may get knocked down, but I'm going to keep getting back up. Number seven, the lordship test. Who's really Lord? Who's sitting on the throne of your heart? Is it you? Is it someone else? Your girlfriend? Your boyfriend? Is it something? Money? A, a job? Or is it the Lord? God wants to be number one. The Lordship test is God number one in every area of your life. The offense test. Can I be offended and not live offended? Listen, we live in a world you're going to be offended. And I, man, I, I see it so much that I see just offended Christians Offended, mad, getting all upset. Listen, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to look like Jesus and we're supposed to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I don't see anywhere on there throwing a fit, being cranky, being moody. I don't see that on there. Can you, can you live in a world where you're going to get offended and not live offended? Number eight, the test of time. Is time making you sour? Is time making you bitter? Or is it making you better? You know something I don't understand? Can I get real with you for a moment? Something, can I get real? No one said anything. Okay. <laughs> making sure, just cool. Uh, and something I don't understand is expiration dates on food. The people, listen, there's people out there, they exist, that food will have an expiration date on it. And their approach to dealing with this food is to smell it. That's the wrong answer, people. <laughs> like, what, what are you smelling for? If, the ex, if, it's, if it's one day past the expiration date, just throw it away. It's over. It's done. We can move on. Don't be a sniffer. Sniffers, what, what, what are you going to discover? Or, or maybe, like, Sarah will do this. Hey, smell this. It smells bad to me. Well, then I don't want to smell it. Why well, would I want to smell it if it smells bad? Just throw it away. I'm not, I don't want to make some judgment call, pour it in my cereal and see if I got lemon milk. I don't want that. Just toss it, throw it away. In our home, listen, we're grace. We're new covenant people. But when it comes to expiration dates, it's law, okay? We're going to live under the law. Throw it away. Don't sniff it. Now, here's the point. <laughs> Time tends to make stuff get rotten. Like certain things, after, with time, they get sour, they get rotten, they get bitter. But there's also stuff that gets better. Some stuff can get better with age. Sarah's getting better with age, praise God. <laughs> getting better with age, girl. Sorry, it's getting weird. My son is cringing down here on the front row. But are you, who are you? The test of time, what's it proving in your life? Are you getting better with age? Are you getting better in the season of waiting? Are you getting bitter? Are, 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 is the flavor that coming, that's coming out of you what the Bible talks about, the God flavor, that helps people taste and see that the Lord is good? Or is it a flavor that is off-putting, that it's like, hey, that guy's past his expiration date. Don't sniff him, just throw him out. Okay, so let me focus in on two of these. Number one is the test of small things. So remember what we said. Every test, there are questions that have to be answered. So what's the question that has to be answered in the test of small things? Can you handle more? That's the question. 
Notice the question is not, do you want more? It's, can you handle more? You may want more. You may want more opportunities. You may want more blessings. You may want more responsibilities. But God doesn't care what you want. What he's really looking at is, can you handle it? And what's great is, God gives us an answer to this. Luke 16, verse 10, Jesus says it. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Here's what, here's what we see here. How you handle what you have now either qualifies you or disqualifies you to the more. It, like, listen, you may want a Porsche, but if you ain't taking care of your Pinto, <laughs> you ain't getting a Porsche. God says how you're handling this season, how you're handling the little things. Well, someday when I got a lot, then I'll be a tither, then I'll be a giver. No, you won't. If you won't handle it well now and you don't have very much, you won't do it then. Someday when I have more responsibility, then I'll be, I'll be a person of more character. But right now, it doesn't really matter. No, no, no. You won't get there. You've got to be responsible with what God's placed in your hands. A great example of this is King David. We know him as King David. You remember him, giant killer? You know him as King David, the giant killer. But you know before he was King David, the giant killer, he was David, the shepherd. And he was in a field and no one was watching him except for God. And he knew that. And so he was faithful to that field. And he, he, he became a worshiper and he became a warrior. And he cared for the sheep that God had placed and put in his life. He was responsible for them. And it was in that field that he learned how to fight. It was in that field that he learned how to sling that stone. And he was faithful in the small things. And so when the opportunity came for him to step up onto the platform and do something great for God, he was ready to seize that opportunity because he had been faithful in the small things. And by the way, King David at his best as a king was a warrior king. He was a worshiper king and he cared for the people well. He cared for the sheep well. Faithful in the small led him to the big. That's the question. Will you, can you handle more? Can you handle more? Here's the, the next test, the wilderness test. The wilderness test. This is an important test that many of us can find ourselves in the wilderness test despite what people may think the wilderness test is not can i survive in the wilderness the wilderness test really is can i make the changes necessary to my mentality to go ahead and progress in what god wants to do there's changes that have to take place up here a great example of this is is exodus the children of israel you guys remember them they're they're in egyptian captivity for 400 years so what, what that 400 years tells us is there was a deep rooting of a mentality in them. They had lived in slavery for 400 years. Generations of people had, had, had been born and died in slavery. It was deeply rooted in them. And so then God comes along and he says, hey, it's time for you to be set free. And he brings them out of Egyptian captivity. He brings them out of slavery. He performs these miraculous plagues that... that make it known that their God is God and he wants to free them. And so they're, they're, they're released. And they're not just released, they're actually blessed. It, it says in the Bible that when they left, they were given gold and they were given livestock. Like they left blessed, set up for, for advancement. And, and you know the story, they leave and then the Egyptian army comes after them. And so what does God do? He does another miraculous thing. He parts the Red Sea and they're able to cross the Red Sea. And then he causes the, the waters to crash down on the Egyptians behind them. And God was doing something in all this. He was showing them something. 
He was saying to them, hey, you don't have to keep looking in the rearview mirror. I'm going to take care of that slavery stuff. I'm dealing with it. I'm going to destroy it. You don't have to keep looking back. But he was also saying, hey, I'm going to deal with your future too. Because they were getting ready to walk into lands and they were going to have to do some fighting. But all the people in those lands were hearing about what God was doing for them. They were hearing, hey, have you heard what, what the God of the Israelite people did to the Egyptian army at the Red Sea? Did you hear about the plagues? Their God is God. We better back away from them. So God is, is setting them up for success. But they find themselves just two days, listen, two days after the Red Sea, they're griping and complaining and murmuring and talking about how they wish they were back in Egypt. So they got out of Egypt, but Egypt didn't get out of them. They got out of slavery, but the slavery mentality didn't get out of them. And what ends up happening is they find themselves in this season in the wilderness. And because that, that, that mindset is so, that slavery mindset is so locked into their thinking, is so in them, God keeps them in that season until that whole generation of people with that mindset dies away. And none of them get to advance into the promised land. Here, here's my point. God made a way so that you can be free. And in the wilderness, what God is doing, what the question God's asking is, can you make the changes necessary up here? And just so you know, on your own, you can't. You can't. But with God, you can. Partnering with the Holy Spirit, allowing Him to show you the equation where you need freedom so you can get to the answer of Jesus, you can. Connected to other people in the family of God. That's why we want you to get a small group. That's why we want you to have a relationship with the church because you need other people. That way, yes, you can find freedom. But if you're not willing to take the necessary steps, you're going to stay stuck in the wilderness. You're going to stay stuck in that mindset. You're going to keep looking back at the slavery and wishing you had some of that. I, I read one time that uh, the average person that comes out of prison is back in prison within three months of getting out of prison. Why? Because they're, they're used to being in prison and they don't know how to live free. We got to learn how to live free. You can only do that with God. You can only do that connected with the Holy Spirit and with other people. So, so here's what I want you to see. This is what James 1 is teaching us. That there's trials you're going to face in life. God wants you to endure in those trials. God's not causing those trials. He's not, make, he's not trying to hurt you. But He'll use them. He'll use them to advance you. And, and He's not trying to fail you. He wants to promote you. He wants to move you ahead. But because He's a good steward, He won't let you cheat. You've got to pass the test. You've got to be willing. So how do you pass the test? You recognize Jesus is the answer. And I need help to figure out the equation. So Holy Spirit, this is why we say this so much at New Song Church. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? That's not a question that you just need to hear from me once a week at church. That's a question you should be asking the Holy Spirit on the daily. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What needs to change? What needs to be overthrown in my life? Where am I off in the equation? What do I need to add? What do I need to subtract? What do I need to multiply? What do I need to divide? Where, where is a change need to take place? Where does an overthrow need to take place in me that will lead me to full faith in the answer, Jesus is Lord? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, 
go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.